you would restore her back to full health. I lift up my brother John Brees, and I just pray for this outpatient procedure that he had today. I don't know anything about it, but Father, you do. And, and I just pray, Father, that it lends towards the betterment of his health. I pray for Sean's uh, mother, Kathleen, and I just pray, Father, that you would uh, direct them to the proper care place. Uh, and, and as you do, Father, we would just see her come to a full healing, and Father, she would be able to move on. And then lastly, I lift up Henry to you, and I pray, Father, even though he is in that coma and hooked to that breathing tube, that, Father, you would meet him there, and that, Lord, you would be his peace, and that you would be his comfort. I don't know the work that you're doing, and I don't know the end of all of this, but, Lord, you do. And, Father, as you have a plan, I just pray for your plan to be worked out in, in, according to, in accordance to your will. And so, Lord, we just lift up this situation and just pray, Father, that you would minister to Henry. Our desire is, and that's still a possibility, that you would heal him, but nonetheless, your will be done. And so, Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you have given us this evening. I just pray for our study tonight. Again, that you would bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we saw it finally happen. Well, it was about 100 years previous that the northern kingdom of Israel had fallen to Assyria, and now the southern kingdom of Judah has fallen to Babylon. Last week, we saw the destruction that had occurred and that the, the city walls have been torn down, the temple is destroyed, and the city has been laid waste. And now there's still some remainders of people that need to be dealt with. Now, backing up, and well, actually, actually it's moving forward, but looking at Nehemiah, I want to look at Nehemiah, draw a small concept from there, and then jump into our study in Jeremiah. But Nehemiah, there was this one point when he had gone back to Babylon. This was about the time, or it was the time when Israel, when Judah was being restored to the land. It was 70 years after the time that we're studying tonight in Jeremiah. But here we saw Nehemiah, he went back to Babylon for a period of time, and he came back, and we see how passionate this man, and there's something that made him very angry. In verse 23 of chapter 13, it says, In those days I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one of the other people. So I contended with them and cursed them, struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor their daughters as, uh, to your sons or yourselves. So why was Nehemiah so angry that it would bring him to that reaction? Well, he had been the king's cupbearer, so he was well aware of Judah's captivity in Babylon. And he's also well aware of the magnitude of the grace of God that is releasing the people back to the land. And he doesn't want to go back to what brought him into captivity in the first place. And as he's seeing that it's moving in that direction, he's just simply beside himself. And it's that which would cause him to react such as he has. It's been said that the main thing that man learns from history is that man learns nothing from history. We seem to repeat the same mistakes from generation to generation, and we definitely saw the kings of Judah and Israel doing that. I guess Judah would be a better example because at least there was some good kings, but we saw kings such as Josiah. When he sought the Lord, the Lord blessed but then subsequently we saw a series of kings, his sons, that as they ruled, they did not seek the Lord, and eventually Judah fell. 
And so even after Judah's fall to Babylon, instead of repentance and restoration, they still turn to idolatry and insurrection. So what follows in the next few chapters, and we're going to look at chapters 40 through 43, is a, it's mainly a historical narrative of the state of the people who were left behind. And again, we're going to see as, as all of this tragedy has happened, you'd think it would be these people on their face before the Lord, but instead they ended up turning back to Egypt. I'll kind of give a running commentary on what's going on here. We're, not, we're going to veer off a little bit from studying this verse by verse. We'll look at some of the main topics that are going on here. And so the first thing we're going to look at is Jeremiah's choice, chapter 40, verses 1 through 6. It says, in the word, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after Nebuzaradan, Nebuzaradan is basically Nebuchadnezzar's general, after Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had let him go from Ramah when he had taken him bound in chains amongst all who had who were carried away captive from Jerusalem and Judah, who were carried away captive to Babylon. And the captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said to him, The Lord your God has pronounced this doom on this place. Now the Lord has brought it and has done just as he said, because you people have sinned against the Lord and not obeyed his voice. Therefore this thing has come upon you. And now look, I free you this day. This is this general freeing um, Jeremiah. I free you this day from the chains that were on your hand. If it seems good to you, come with me to Babylon. Come, and I will look after you. But if it seems wrong to you, come with me to Babylon and remain there. See, all the land is before you. Wherever it seems good and convenient for you to go, go there. Now, while Jeremiah had not yet gone back, Nebuzaradan said, Go back to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon has made governor over the cities of Judah, and dwell with him amongst the people, or go wherever it seems convenient for you to go. So the captain of the guard gave him rations and a gift and let him go. Then Jeremiah went to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, to Mitzvah, and dwelt with him amongst the people who were left in the land. So again, Jerusalem, the temple, it's all destroyed. Jeremiah has been granted his freedom by the king, but gets lumped in with captives. And so you have Babylon as they had entered in and defeated Jerusalem. They took the people that were there captives. They left some of the poor of the land to tend the land. And they took them over to this city in Benjamin, Ramah. And this was going to be kind of a gathering point, a jumping off point for them to transport them all to Babylon. Somehow Jeremiah got lumped in with them and taken captive until they realized their mistake. And so he soon discovered and he's given the choice of going to Babylon or remaining in the land. Jeremiah chooses to stay in the land. The sad thing that we see here in these first six verses is, again, the hard-heartedness, and even the world recognizes the hard-heartedness of Judah. You see this man, he, this pagan general, and the things that he had to say in verses 2 and 3, and the captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said to him, the Lord your God has pronounced this doom on this place. He's understanding that that doom didn't necessarily come from Nebuchadnezzar, but this came from the hand of God. Verse 3, now the Lord has brought it and has done just as he said, because you people have sinned against the Lord and not obeyed his voice. Therefore, this thing has come upon you. It's kind of a sad thing when God's people are rebuked by the world. 
And we see it from time to time. Some well-known televangelist or whatever finds himself in some financial or sexual situation, and then his face is plastered all over the world. And once again, we see the world rebuking that which is at least supposed to be the church. But what we're seeing here is, now really, what, and that's what, that's what vexed the heart of King Josiah 22 years before the fall of Judah. He discovered the book, as we've seen previous, and one of the books, if not the book, was Deuteronomy. And he saw how there was pronounced their blessings as they sought the Lord, but also curses as they did not seek the Lord. And Josiah realized, we're not seeking the Lord, and these things are going to come upon us. And again, things that we need to realize, if I want to live a blessed life, I've got to do it God's way. And if I don't, then I'm not going to receive the blessings of God. But as we see this pagan general now rebuking Judah for what has happened, this is also prophecy of what God said was going to happen. And now we're seeing it come to pass. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 24 through 28, it says, All nations would say, Why has the Lord done so to this land? And what does the heat of this great anger mean? Then the people would say, Because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. For they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods that they did not know and that he had not given to them. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against this land to bring on it every curse that is written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger in wrath and in great indignation and cast them into another land as it is this day. So again, that was written in Deuteronomy before they even entered into the promised land. And now we see God told them beforehand so that when it would happen, they would be able to look back and understand who God is and their obedience to God's word. And it's the same thing as I speak say so often, even as we see these things that have come to pass so long ago, we must then revisit future prophecies. As God was right and he was faithful in the past, he's going to be right and faithful in the future. And so Jeremiah, he goes back and joins the Babylonian-approved governor, Gedaliah. Gedaliah was a Jew. He's somebody that I don't know how it came to pass, but he was approved and he was installed as the governor of the land. He was the Jewish representative to Babylon. Ba uh, Babylon would still have, as we'll see in a little while, they would have dignitaries there and they would have guards there, but all in all... Judah was expected to govern the people there and they were expected to be obedient to the king or the king would come back into the land. And so then the next thing that we see is Gedaliah's efforts in verses 9 through 12. And Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, took an oath before them and their men. Now, speaking of the men previously in verse 8. These guys are former guerrillas that were out and they were harassing Babylon as they came in. They couldn't confront the army and they were never going to defeat it, but they joined in little bands of, of guerrilla outfits that would harass them. Some of them are those who went to other countries. They escaped Babylon as Babylon came in and they didn't have to withstand the siege that went on in Jerusalem. And so now Gedaliah, he's gathering all these people back together. He's wanting to strengthen them so that they would be able to work the land and they would be able to live their lives in relative peace and he's wanting these guerrilla outfits to not be attacking anymore doesn't want to rouse the anger of Nebuchadnezzar and have him come back into the land so again verse 9 
And Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, took an oath before them and their men, saying, Do not be afraid to serve the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans are the Babylonians. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. Now, this is exactly what Jeremiah had been prophesied. As for me, I will indeed dwell at Mitzvah. Mitzvah was another city since Jerusalem was sacked and destroyed. Mitzvah was a city in the area of Benjamin, which was right next to Judah. Matter of fact, you hear of the Israel being the ten tribes of Israel, you know, the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom of Judah actually consisted of Judah and Benjamin. As for me, I will indeed dwell at Mitzvah and serve the Chaldeans who, came, who come to us. But you gather wine and summer fruit and oil and put them in your vessels and dwell in your cities that you have taken. Likewise, when all the Jews who were in Moab amongst the Ammonites and Edom and those who dwell in the countries heard that the king of Babylon had left a remnant of Judah and that he had sent over them Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, then all the Jews returned out of all the places where they had been driven and came to the land of Judah to Gedaliah at Mitzvah and gathered wine and summer fruit in abundance. And so once again, what's happening, as God had commanded them even before Babylon had come, they ignored the Lord and they continued to be disobedient and that obedient, and that's what brought judgment. Now God has told them, because we know what's happening, God's given them 70 years off. We'd seen it previously in Jeremiah. We saw how it was repeated in Daniel. But they were still to just go in and be obedient to God. We'll get into this a little bit later. And just do what God has told them to do. So the governor calls these people, wanting them to get together, wanting them to be organized and to be able to move forward as one. Yet Elias is encouraging the people in the same way that God, through Jeremiah, encouraged the people before. Serve the king of Babylon, and again, we know it to be 70 years. Work the land, provide for yourself, pay your taxes, and all will be well. Because again, this is all by the hand of God. It's not by King Nebuchadnezzar or anybody else. This will go contrary, though, to Jewish thinking, but it's according to God's plan. We have our first Christian concept here of tonight. These things that don't make sense in our mind, but we know they've been commanded by God. And there's times in our lives that we enter into these dilemmas. We make them to be dilemmas. The dilemma of what seems so right in my sight, but what has God commanded? Now we're told in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Well, this verse, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, was in existence during this time. I don't know if it was ever quoted, but it would have been well to have been quoted. This should be the life verse of everybody that tries to control their life and tries to push God out of it and God's will out of it. When we are told to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, we are commanded to totally trust in God in everything that we do. And the only way that I can trust in God in everything that I do is to seek him out. I've got to be a person of prayer. I've got to be immersed in God's word. I have to have an ear to hear what the Spirit says. I have to take a step of faith, knowing and understanding that even if it's the wrong direction, God's going to lead me in the direction that I need to go. And so it boils down to an undivided commitment to God. In Psalm 119, verse 113, the psalmist says, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. We are so inclined to trust in, well, 
the other part of that verse, verse 5 of Proverbs 3, our own understanding, what seems to be right in our own sight. Let me ask you, think of the times that you truly trusted in God when it was a hard thing to do. See, trust in God isn't really trust unless it's contrary to what you think it should be or what makes sense to you. So those times when you trusted in God and you know how that came about, how about going according to your own understanding? Just about everybody that I've ever counseled have gone contrary to God and according to their own understanding. Every sinful situation that we have gotten ourselves in, we've gone contrary to God and we've gone according to our own understanding. Even when it seems that we are totally trusting, a trial enters into our lives and we so easily revert back to our own understanding. We're going to look at that in detail on Sunday mornings as we're starting the book of James. We're going to see how the devil will use these things as lures, as attractants, that we're in the midst of a trial and God's doing a work, but then the devil will show us the easy way out and we'd be inclined to take that. But what it does is it hinders what God wants to do through the trial. Our heart is influenced by our sinful nature, so when we trust in it, we often miss the mark. We may not always understand the direction that God is leading us, but if we did, where would the true trust be? So there's going to be times when I'm not going to understand. I know that God's leading me in a particular way, but I'm not going to get all the details. I'm not necessarily going to see the end. Think of David's three, David, Daniel's three friends when they were faced with the great fiery furnace, King Nebuchadnezzar had threatened them to threaten to throw them in there unless they bowed down before him. And in Daniel chapter 3, verses 17 through 18, they responded, If this is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you. So even if I get burned up, let it be known to you, O king, we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. See, he, he, he's not going according to his understanding. We're not to bow down before you. And God, I know my God, and he's able to deliver me. But if not, if it be his will that I perish in a fiery furnace, that's fine. But we are not going to serve your gods, your gold image which you have set up. And so these were guys who did not go according to their own understanding. Because I know my understanding, that furnace is hot. I don't really want to go in there. It's, it's just not going to be a good thing. But I need to be sold out to the Lord. Lean not on my own understanding, but in all my ways acknowledge him. So the word of God, God's will, it's not my understanding. When it comes to marriage, this is the manual. When it comes to raising children, this is the instructions that we have. In times of trouble, this is where we gain our wisdom and the direction that the Lord has for us. It can never be according to our intellect or understanding, but according to the wisdom of God. Verse 6 in Proverbs 3, In all of your ways and everything that occurs in your life, it means acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. He'll show you the way that you need to go, but you must acknowledge him once again, prayer and faith and in the word. So it comes down to making Jesus the Lord of the details of your life. And if you do so, he'll guide you in the details of your life. If you hold on to the details and you take them according to your direction, you'll expect disaster to come in. In Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six, he who trusts in his own heart, it simply says, is a fool. 
Well, we've got this one fool. We've got this one man, Ishmael. And that's the third thing that we're going to see is Ishmael's plot. Ishmael is part of the royal family, and he's still trying to hold on. I don't know if he's trying to assume the throne himself or if he's just trying to get his family back upon that throne. But what you see is, is a man trying to work out his own will according to his own way, according to his own understanding. In verse 13 in chapter 40 through to 41, verses 1 through 3, it says, Moreover, Johanan, now this man is one of the people who was out in the wilderness and fighting against Babylon. He's been brought back into the fold, and he's a man who seems to be seeking for the most part at this time, according to the Lord. So Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces that were in the fields came to Gedaliah at Mitzvah. And he said to him, this man said to Gedaliah, Do you certainly know that Baalus, the king of the Ammonites, has sent Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, to murder you? But Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, did not believe him. Then Johanan, the son of Kariah, spoke secretly to Gedaliah in Mitzvah, saying, Let me go, please, and I will kill Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and no one will know it. Why should he murder you? so that all the Jews who are gathered to you would be scattered and the remnant in Judah perish. But Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, said to Johanan, the son of Korea, you shall not do this thing, for you speak falsely concerning Ishmael. Entering into chapter uh, chapter 41, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishamam, the royal family and of the officers of the king came with came with ten men to Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, at Mitzvah, and there they ate bread together. So they had this big banquet in Mitzvah. Then Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and the ten men who were with him, arose and struck Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, with the sword, and killed him, whom the king of Babylon had made governor over the land. Ishmael also struck down all the Jews who were with him, that is, with Gedaliah at Mitzvah and the Chaldeans who were found there, the men of war. So these were guards that had been set, probably bodyguards for the governor at the time. There could have been dignitaries lumped in with them. But nonetheless, these assassins were radical members of Judah's royal family, probably with the thought of reestablishing the rule back to members of their family. So Ishmael and his men not only killed these guys, there was 80 people that came into the area, to the ruins of the temple for the purpose of mourning. He took them captive and murdered them. And then he also took captive the people of Mitzvah, looks like all the people of Mitzvah, including Jeremiah, and was going to take them to Ammon, a country that was in the area of... um, of modern-day Jordan, probably southern Jordan, on the other side of the uh, um, Jordan River. And so a dedicated official, this man Johanan, and some other soldiers pursue Ishmael, and they, they rescue the hostages. In chapter 41 now, looking over at verses 16 through 18, then Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces that were with him took from... Uh, took that were with him, took from Mitzvah all the rest of the people whom he had recovered from Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, after he had murdered Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, the mighty men of war, and the women and the children and the eunuchs whom he had brought back from Gibeon. 
and they departed and dwelt in the habitation of Chimham, which is near Bethlehem, as they went on their way to Egypt because of the Chaldeans, for they were afraid of them because Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the had murdered Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, whom the king of Babylon had made governor in the land. So this man Ishmael, he's got this plot, and as we've seen, he kills all these people. Sooner or later, that's going to get back to Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar is going to hear about it. He's not going to be very appreciative of it. More than likely, in their minds, he's going to be sending troops. But again, what these people are doing, even the good guys, they're depending upon their own understanding. So you have this man Johanan. He hears what happens, what this man Ishmael does, so he takes uh, some troops with him, and he goes and he rescues all the people that Ishmael had taken, killed some of his people. This man Ishmael, he escapes, he goes back to Ammon. But nonetheless, now they're coming back to the land, and they realize when the king hears about this, we're going to be in big trouble, and so they're of the mindset, we're going to run, we're going to go to, to, uh, to Egypt. Christian concepts, something to remember in our times of political turmoil. What they're not doing again is they're not depending upon the Lord because it's the Lord who told them to stay in the land. Nothing ever changes the word of God. God does not change. His word does not change. And so regardless of the Ishmaels or whoever they may be, we continue to follow the Word of God because that's what the Bible's all about. It's all about the Word of God playing out in the lives of all of humanity. Now, we can sit here and say, yeah, I, I agree with that, but do you really in our political climate? Because, you know, we don't always agree with the people who are the governing authorities, but we're told in the Bible that the governing authorities are placed there by the hand of God. Nebuchadnezzar, he was placed there by the hand of God. Fast forwarding to Jesus' time, Pilate, Caesar, Herod, they were placed there for the purposes that God has by the hand of God. The apostle Paul, Nero, a man who was insane, who was the leader, the emperor of the most powerful nation in the world, placed there by the hand of God. Hitler, he was allowed to be in office by the hand of God for God's reasons and God's purposes. In Romans chapter 13, we've looked at this verse many times in the past, but bears revisiting, let every soul, that means everybody, that means believer or unbeliever, but the believers need to look at it, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. We're not to be subject to sin. We're not going to, to be subject when they issue decrees that are contrary to the word of God, but... As far as citizens in the land, we are to be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. So the devil may have his influence. You may think that authority in office is demon-possessed, but the authority, he has been placed there by the hand of God. There is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. And so he, he's just showing us, and he's reiterating this, so that we would understand Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists the ordinance of God. Those who resist will bring judgment upon themselves. We will be responsible for our actions. So regardless of who is in control, who is ruling a nation, who is sitting in office, they are placed there by the hand of God. Now, we're not going to understand why, because you can look at the people that are in the state capital even right now and you can wonder why lord why why are you allowing and we won't know 
Because some, one day, that which is now in the background will one day be brought to the foreground. One day we're going to understand God's wisdom and purpose in all of this. We know what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Both believer and unbeliever, they'll recognize the deity and the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that which is in the background one day is going to be brought to the foreground, God's will and the reality of his plan. And it's that which we need to understand and it's that which we need to depend upon. God's in control. Never are things out of control. As much as they may seem that they are, they are never out of control. Verses 3 and 4, still in Romans chapter 13. For the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, if you break the law, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. And the Lord led some validity to this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 52, when he rebuked Peter for cutting off Malchus's ear, it says, but Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. And what he was saying is, if you wield the sword illegally, the government will come and wield the sword according to the law. And what he was telling Peter is, you're gonna get arrested for cutting people's ears off if you're going around and, and doing that. And so here, going back, what the people should have been, they should have been content with who God has placed in power because it was obvious, even the unbelieving general realized this, it was obvious that these things were going on by the hand of God. So what do we do during those times? Now, today is the National Day of Prayer. Why aren't we doing anything special because of the National Day of Prayer? It's because every day's got to be a day of prayer. It doesn't do any good for an unbelieving nation to gather together in prayer or a disobedient nation to gather together in prayer. We need to be praying for our nation every single day. We need to be praying, you know, lifting up these people on the prayer chain every time that they come over. We've got to exercise ourselves to prayer. Why? Well, again, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, we are told to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So we live in very anxious time, but right here we're told to be anxious for nothing. Now, Paul lends weight behind that, because Paul, when he wrote those things, is sitting in a Roman jail. And if anybody should have been anxious, it should have been the Apostle Paul. But what was the letter of Philippians all about? It was all about the joy that he had in the Lord Jesus Christ, even though he's going through difficult times. Be anxious for nothing, and then he says, in essence, pray. And what's going to happen? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. Hearts is the anxiety that you will feel at times. God will guard that. And the minds, this is the fear that you imagine. So the anxiety that you have and the fear that you imagine, God will put those things to rest when you learn to be a person who is dedicated in prayer. Now, case in point, back in Jeremiah chapter 42, 
It's basically what the people do. In verse 1, it says, Now all the captains of the forces, Johanan, the son of Korea, uh, Jesaniah, the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, Please let our petition be acceptable to you and pray for us to the Lord your God for all this remnant, since we are left but a few of many, as you can see. <coughs> so they're, they're at a crossroads. They're in the area of Bethlehem at this particular city, Chimham, and they're thinking of going back to Egypt. And it's as if somebody entered in and said, you sure this is what God wants? And somebody has a bright idea. Well, hey, Jeremiah's amongst us. He's been right so far. Let's talk to him. And so really what they're doing is, in, in the prophet, they're, they're praying, that they're seeking the will of God. And so it says in verse 3, that the Lord God may show us the way which we should walk and the thing that we should do. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard indeed, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your words, and it shall be that whatever the Lord answers you, I will declare it to you. I will keep nothing back from you. And so it's kind of a play of words, because if you look at verse 2 previously, they asked him to pray to the Lord your God. That kind of speaks volumes. They should have said to the Lord our God, but to the Lord your God. But here, Jeremiah in verse 4, he confirms, now this is the Lord your God, and what God says you must do. Verse 5, so they said to Jeremiah, let the Lord be a true and faithful witness between us, if we do not do according to everything which the Lord God sends us by you. Keep that in the back of your mind. Whether it is pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God. And so they kind of got the hint here. To whom we send you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. And it happened after ten days that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And he called Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces which were with him, and all the people from the least even to the greatest, and said to them, so here's the answer to the prayer, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition before him. If you will still remain in the land, then I will build you and not pull you down. And I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I relent concerning the disaster that I have brought upon you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not be afraid of him, says the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. And I will show you mercy, that he may have mercy on you and cause you to return to your own land. But if you say, we will not dwell in the land, disobeying the voice of the Lord your God, saying, no, but we will go to the land of Egypt, where we shall see no war, nor hear the sound of the trumpet, nor be hungry for bread, and there, there we will dwell, then hear now the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Notice how he says remnant of Judah, remembering back the people who have died and the judgment that God has brought. Hear now the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel. If you wholly set your face to enter Egypt and to go to dwell there, then it shall be that the sword which you feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. The famine of which you were afraid shall follow close after you there in Egypt, and there you shall die. So shall it be with all the men who set their faces to go to Egypt to dwell there. They shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence, and none of them shall remain or escape from the disaster that I will bring from them. So he's basically saying, you're going to have to go through what you just have gone through. Only this time you'll be part of the dead. 
verse 18. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as my anger and my fury have been poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so will my fury be poured out on you when you enter Egypt, and you shall be an oath, an astonishment, a curse, and a reproach, and you shall see this place no more. The Lord has said concerning you, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. Know certainly that I have admonished you this day, for you are hypocrites in your hearts when you sent me to the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us to the Lord our God, and according to all that the Lord God has said, so declare to us that we will do it. And I have this day declared it to you, but you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God or anything which he has sent you by me. Now, therefore, know certainly that you shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence in the place where you desire to go and to dwell. So, here's a chance for them to live up to their vow. They should have sought the Lord, and they did. They made a determination to be obedient to the answer, as they should have. And God, I think God has made his answer very clear. I mean, if you ever want an example of answered prayer... This is it. He visits both sides. Hey, if you stay, you guys are going to thrive here. If you don't, if you go, which it makes sense to go for the protection of Egypt. Egypt has already repulsed Babylon when Babylon came to attack Egypt. So they're thinking they'd be a pretty good protector. But in essence, what are they doing? They're rejecting the protection of God and they're seeking the protection of the world. Here we see it. The main thing that man learns from history is that man learns nothing from history. As that great philosopher of previous days, Yogi Berra, once said, here we have deja vu all over again. Yogi Berra was a catcher for the Yankees who was kind of a happy fool. So we see God's answer to prayer. And now we're going to see what their answer to God is as we move into chapter 43, verses 1 through 7. It says, Now it happened when Jeremiah had stopped speaking to all the people all the words of the Lord their God, for which the Lord their God had sent him to tell them all these words. Now just keep in mind Jeremiah. Nobody has ever listened to what he had to say. They heard the words, but they have never followed through in obedience. Jeremiah was faithful. He spoke the word of God but nobody ever took what he had to say to heart. And it says that Azariah, the son of Hoshiah, jo- Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the proud men spoke, saying to Jeremiah, you speak falsely. He's probably thinking, these are what the kings who are dead now said. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, do not go to Egypt to dwell there. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, has sent you against us to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans that they may put us to death or carry us away captive to Babylon. So Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces and all the people would not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Judah. But Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces took all the remnant of Judah who had returned to dwell in the land of Judah from all nations where they had been driven, men, women, children, the king's daughters, and every person who Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah the prophet, and Baruch, the son of Neriah. So they went to the land of Egypt, for they did not obey the voice of the Lord, and they went as far as... Tapanahes. Tapanahes is an Egyptian city. It's, it's 
almost on the border of Egypt and, and the wilderness there. It would be one of the first cities that they would come to. Jeremiah went probably because Jeremiah was more than likely, I don't know this is a fact, but forced to go. So what is going to happen is what happens when you do not like God's answer to your prayer and you follow your heart. What did Jeremiah say previously? Say previously in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So they do what many even in the church do. They go to the world for their help. They're seeking out the world rather than taking a step of faith in God. We looked at it back when we were studying Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. This is what we are convinced to be true. And it's the evidence of things not yet seen. They're not exhibiting faith. They're casting God aside and they're going according to their own wisdom. Verses 8 to the end of the chapter. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and to to Panahes saying, Take large stones. Now, this is going to be the last of his visual illustrations, visual sermons. Take large stones in your hands and hide them in the sight of the men of Judah and the clay in the brick courtyard, which is at the entrance to Pharaoh's house there. And say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will send and bring Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will set his throne above these stones that I have hidden, and he will spread his royal pavilion over them. When he comes, he shall strike the land of Egypt and deliver to death those appointed for death and to captivity those appointed to captivity. God's thought all this out. And to the sword, those appointed to the sword. And I will kindle a fire in the houses of the gods of Egypt, and he shall burn them and carry them away, uh, carry them away captive. And he shall array himself with the land of Egypt as a shepherd puts on his garment, and he shall go out from there in peace. He shall also break the sacred pillars of Beth Shemesh that are in the land of Egypt and the house of their gods of the Egyptians. He shall burn with fire. So there's going to be complete and there's going to be total annihilation and really the hard thing that you're seeing here is you're seeing how things now have come full circle now look at what's happened remember previous there was israel in egyptian captivity and there was the promised land it was empty of any jews but god delivered them and he brought them into this promised land and they populated it and they thrived but now you can look if you could kind of look third party if you were there at that time What's happened to us? We're back in Egypt. We're back where we started from. We're back under the rule of of Pharaoh here, and there's none of us in the land anymore. And again, if you look at that, you've got to just realize how contrary to the will of God that they really were at that point. God is telling them of Babylon coming in, and you'll, we'll see this in the weeks to come, and he is, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar is going to come in, and Nebuchadnezzar is going to set his throne up over where those rocks are. God is going to deliver Egypt into his hand. Why? Because God said that he was going to do it. Why would God use Nebuchadnezzar or Babylon? I don't know. I don't know, and probably never will know. doesn't matter. I know why he did use them, though. He used them because his people would not have an ear to hear what the Spirit had to say. And we as the church need to have an ear what the Spirit says to the church today. 
We need to be faithful in seeking God out in prayer. Not just today when it's on a national calendar, but we need to seek the Lord out in prayer every day of our lives, of every moment, interceding on behalf of the unbelievers, interceding on behalf of this nation, interceding on behalf of this world, interceding on behalf of the church, but also bringing supplications and bringing prayers to God and having that conversation with Him that we would not find ourselves in such a situation. And so as, as, as the church, we have such a, an awesome opportunity to be that salt, to be that light. Every day at noon prayer, we develop a list every week. Some of the things on there have been constants. First thing we always pray for are the avenues of the word. Avenues of the word as the word goes out from this church. It's going out right now to you, and it'll be going out those doors in a little bit because you have to go home. You can't spend the night here. We have CDs that we give away, and we pray that as you take the CD, you listen to it again or whatever, but you also give it to somebody. Get it out there. We're on Facebook right now, and we'll have like triple the amount of people that will partake of the service that we have even right now. And then we have it on YouTube, and there's other avenues that I'm not even thinking of right now because we need to get the word out. Second on that list is the United States of America because we need to pray for this nation. And we specifically pray for this nation because this is the nation that God has us in. And so we lift up this nation, regardless of where it's at with God, that God would do a great work. And then we lift up the events and the affairs of the church, just praying that God would continue to move through this church in South Ontario, in San Bernardino, in California, in the United States, and in this world, that we would be able to have a great effect for the glory of God. Because those who had the opportunity and refused the opportunity, they were delivered into the hands of the world. And just as God is going to judge the world, these people, they partook of that judgment as well because they refused God. They sought the prophet who they knew was a prophet, but they refused the answer to their prayer. Father, far be it that that would be us, that we would refuse you and refuse, Lord, your word to our hearts. And so, Father, I pray that we would be a people who are always obedient. And so, Father, we're not going to walk in perfection, even as our children are learning tonight in children's ministry. We have the necessity to have that constant cleansing, to repent and to be washed clean. And, Lord, if we repent, you're faithful to forgive. And, Lord, we're able to move forward then. Again, not a person in this room who is perfect. But, Father, we just have that desire to be obedient. And so, Father, I pray that we would see these lessons written long ago for our understanding today that we would realize the events of our future. And so, Father, I just pray that you would fill us with your spirit. Use us in miraculous ways, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? A couple of things. Sal made the announcement. I would hope he had made the announcement that we need help stacking these chairs so after service is over, we need to stack the chairs in groups of five. Sal's going to bring a dolly in here. We don't want to drag it across the carpet because it, it ruins the carpet. And then we have these tables that we're going to set up. Sal's got the plan, so just see him. Also, on the day of the woman's um, uh, spring lunch, we could use some help. Not from any of the ladies because we desire for you to be at the lunch. But guys, anybody that's able to help... We can use that help any time from 8 o'clock in the morning and any portion of time all the way through to 3 o'clock. And then last but not least, a week from, well, this Sunday we're going to be starting the book of James. And then a week from Sunday we're going to give, I'm going to give, a special Mother's Day message as pretty much we do every year. So think about inviting mom for that particular day. Other than that, God bless. Have a great rest of the week.
Jesus, let your kingdom come here, let your will be done here in us. Jesus, there is no one greater, you alone are Savior. Show the world your love, King of heaven, come now, King of heaven, come now, let your glory reign, shining like the day, King of heaven, come, King of heaven, rise up. Who can stand against us? You are strong to save in your mighty name. King of heaven, come. We are children of your mercy, rescued for your glory. We cry, Jesus, set our heart toward you, and every eye would see you lifted high. King of heaven, come now. King of heaven, come now. Let your glory reign, shining like the day, King of heaven, come. King of heaven, rise up, who can stand against us? You are strong to save in your mighty name, King of heaven, come. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday.